Amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship. And um, so blessed by them who are volunteering. They're here all three services, and man, God's using them. Well, you brought a Bible with you, say amen. All right, so Galatians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves this morning. If you're a guest of ours, we're in a series entitled The Holy Spirit Experience. Now, last time we were together, we talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the current church age. His role is to carry out God's purpose and plan on the earth. Now, the Bible says that those who come to faith in Jesus are actually uh, possessed by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God comes to indwell the new convert. As soon as a person gets saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the Spirit, or, or rather are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then the Bible says also in Romans chapter 8, and verse 9, that if you don't have the Spirit within you, then you don't have Jesus. And so again, at conversion, a person receives the Spirit of God. I preached Friday night at a men's conference, and at the end of the service, I was preaching uh, pretty strongly on giving your heart to Jesus. And while I was doing that, there was a man about midway back, had a full beard, older gentleman, and uh, he just began to weep. And uh, he ended up praying and giving his heart to Jesus last Friday night, which was awesome. But what's unique about that is Friday night, for the first time in this man's life, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit took up residence in his life. So now the Spirit of God wants to use that man just like he wants to use you as well as myself to carry out God's will here upon the earth. So again, listen closely. At the moment of your conversion, you get all of the Holy Spirit. But from that day forward, now the Holy Spirit wants to get all of you. So let me say that again. The moment you come to Christ, you get all of the Spirit. But from that day forward, now the Spirit of God wants to get all of you. He wants to control you. He wants you to participate in God the Father's work upon this earth. When I was a little kid, around five or six, my dad used to mow the grass. We had a 20-inch push mower. Y'all remember these things? I don't even know if they make them anymore, right? And it wasn't self-propelled. It was like you had to be a man to push that thing. And I remember watching him up and down, up and down, going back and forth. And I would go out and I would stand and I'd watch him. Because I wanted to mow the grass too, right? Because I felt like that made me a man. And so as I waited and I, I would look and I'd be like, can I, can I, can I go, can I go? And uh, he would just be like, hold on. And he would keep going back and forth. So an hour passed by and I'd still be out there going, can I, can I, can I? And he would be like, one. and then there'd be one strip of grass left. And uh, then he would say, oh, did you want to mow some? And I was like, yes, I did. So I was, uh, you know, small then. So I would kind of draw, draw, uh, grab hold of the bottom rung. He would have the top rung. And then uh, we would push that last strip. All of that just to participate in one thing my dad was doing. You know what? As soon as you came to faith in Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit of God puts, check this out, a desire in your life to participate in what your heavenly Father is doing. And our Father is in the process of drawing a people to Jesus Christ from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's what God is doing on the earth. And he is doing that, check this out, through the disciples of Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when you participate with the Spirit of God, you'll find that you are involved in glorifying Jesus and making him known. Which, by the way, did y'all hear that little statement? Glorifying Jesus, making him known? Now, I'm just asking y'all, did y'all hear that statement? All right, so you're going to hear that 50 times before this message is over. Because I want you to jot it down. I want it to be etched on your heart, tattooed on your brain. That is what we are called to do. So that in mind, we're going to learn how to participate with the Spirit of God. So it's like if the Spirit is carrying out God's will and He lives inside of me personally, I'm talking about myself, then, man, I want to participate with what God's doing. So how do I get involved in that? 
And uh, that's what the scriptures teach us here in Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 16. Y'all stand with me out of God's word this morning. You got it there in front of you? Say amen. All right, so the Bible says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, and carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarned you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus. Y'all see verse 24 say yes? Because this is a powerful verse. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Let's bow together. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather in freedom and worship Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you as well for the scripture, which is God-breathed. This is your word to us. And Father, I know that there are followers of Jesus in this room today who want to participate in what you are doing upon the earth. So God, I pray that you would use this text of scripture to guide our hearts and thoughts that we might be in line with what you are desiring to do. And we'll trust you to work in a way that only what you can and that you'd be glorified through the preaching of your word. And I pray for those, Lord, who have not yet given their hearts to you. God, I know that there would be some here today. Lord, I pray that you would use uh, our time together to bring them to the knowledge of the truth. And we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated if you will. All right, so how do you and I participate with the Holy Spirit? Three major things I want to encourage you to jot down, if you will, right there in your listening guide. The first thing that you do if you want to participate with the Holy Spirit is you embrace the Spirit's desire. You embrace the Spirit's desire. Now notice again in verse 16, Paul opens it up and says, I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, very quickly, that word walk, it speaks of your everyday life comprised of your thoughts and your actions. And then also here, this statement from Paul is given to us in what is known as the present imperative mood, which means it is an ongoing action. So literally what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, I want you guys to keep on walking by the Spirit. In fact, we could paraphrase it like this. If you want to participate in God's work on this earth, then you need to keep on depending on the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, what do we know about the Holy Spirit according to these passages? One thing that we know is that the Holy Spirit has a desire. The Holy Spirit has a craving. So very quickly, the Spirit's desire is to glorify Jesus. And the Spirit's craving is to make Jesus known. And as you and I, check this out, embrace His desire, the Spirit's desire, He produces in us a life that glorifies Jesus and makes Him known. Did everybody hear that say yes? So whenever you embrace the Spirit's desire, the Spirit will produce in you a life that glorifies Jesus and desires to actually make Him known. So I could say it to you like this this morning. If you are not living in such a way as to glorify Jesus and to make Him known, something is wrong in your life. And that's the warning from this passage of Scripture. The Spirit produces a desire in us, and as we surrender to His desire, He enables and empowers us 
to glorify Jesus and make him known. Verse 16, the Bible says this, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, notice here the word flesh. That word in the New Testament refers, check this out, to a root of sinful self-interest that is inside of all of us. Even though you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is still an old nature there, which is known as the flesh, with his desires, with his passions, with his heart. In fact, our flesh has a desire to be exalted and a desire to be known. If you think about your flesh for just a moment, you'll know that your flesh produces in you a desire for comfort, produces in you a desire for self-gratification. And whenever we uh, embrace the desire of the flesh in our life, the flesh produces in us a life that actually exalts our own personal interest and empowers our actions toward self-gratification. So look, before Jesus Christ moved into our lives by the Holy Spirit, the desire that managed our lives was the desire of the flesh. Whatever promised self-glory, whatever promised self-gratification is what we found ourselves involved in. But that was before Jesus. Whenever you give your heart to Jesus, then you can put a sign over your life. You are now under new management. So the Spirit of God now desires to manage your life. But there is still the presence of the flesh that is seeking to try to lead you to uh, basically magnify whatever makes you look good or magnify whatever makes you feel good. So the Holy Spirit is producing a desire in your life, but also the flesh is producing a desire. And there's a war between the two. Look at verse 17. The Bible says the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So again, Paul the Apostle here is elevating the fact that there are competing desires within our lives. The desire of the Spirit and the desire of the flesh. The desire of the Spirit to glorify Jesus and make Him known, and the desire of our flesh to make ourselves look good and make ourselves feel good. Now what's interesting here is that they are competing for control of our lives. Now, in our current culture, what's happening? We have people in the United States, they are all competing for a position in the Oval Office of the White House. And why are they competing for that? Because they want to be in charge. They want to be calling the shots. They desire to lead this nation. Well, if you can take that same concept and imagine this for a moment, inside the chest cavity of your life, there is an oval office. And the Holy Spirit wants to sit there and direct your life. But at the same time, your old manager, the one you fired, your flesh still desires to step up and try to produce in you a life that goes against what the Spirit of God desires to do in you. Matter of fact, Eugene Pearson paraphrases uh, Paul's words in Romans chapter 6. Listen to what he says. This is an awesome quote. He says, that means you must not give sin a vote in how you conduct your lives. Don't give sin the time of day. Uh, don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So think about it like this. As followers of Jesus, you and I no longer have to surrender ourselves to the desires of the flesh, which are self-honoring and self-gratifying. Instead, now, you and I are freed up to surrender ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives. And as we do this, 
What happens is that we become individuals who glorify Jesus and we live to make him known. Now, we're always embracing one of the desires, either the Holy Spirit's desire inside of us or the flesh's desire. So think about it like this. At your house, you've got a lot of electrical outlets on the wall. The electrical outlets typically have two plugs, right? So think about the first plug at the top. Uh, let's label that one the flesh. Now think about the bottom plug for just a moment. We'll label that one the Holy Spirit. You, at every moment in your life, have a decision to make. You are plugging in to either the flesh or the Spirit of God. Now, whenever you plug into the flesh, you're going to discover that you live in a way that dishonors God, which means it does not glorify Jesus. When you plug into the flesh, you're going to discover that your life is not involved in making Jesus known. So listen very closely. If you're here today and you're not seeking to make Jesus known, you don't have any desire to tell people about Jesus, you don't have any desire to live in such a way that glorifies him, you're just kind of playing a church game, then you're either plugged into the flesh or you don't possess the Holy Spirit. And if you don't possess the Holy Spirit, then you don't know Jesus. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized or walked down an aisle or cried. If you've come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God produces now a desire in you. And when you plug into that desire with your life, surrendering to Him, He gives you power over the flesh, empowering you to, check this out, I'm going to say it again, glorify Jesus and make Him known. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life and through your life. That's what He does in my life and through my life. So the question really is, who's in control of your life? Now, every single one of us know that we struggle with certain things. Every single one of us know how the enemy attacks us. But the question is, who's winning? I mean, who are you surrendering to? Which leads me basically to the second thing. If we want to participate with the Holy Spirit, we not only have to embrace the Spirit's desire, but we've got to shut down the flesh factory. Uh, shut down the flesh factory. That's kind of a tongue twister. Y'all with me? Say amen. Uh, say it three times real fast. Y'all ready? Go. I'm just kidding. All right, so check this out. If you visit a manufacturing company today, you'll see that there are certainly assembly lines designed to develop particular gadgets. Uh, matter of fact, what you'll discover as well, and I've seen this before because I've went into some of these plants, and I've seen they'll have an assembly line that's designed to create a particular thing, and if all of a sudden that particular thing is messed up and it's not what's supposed to be, then they have this huge button on the wall or a huge lever to pull down. And that button on the wall shuts down the assembly line. That lever shuts down the assembly line. Well, what Paul the Apostle does in this text, and it gives me a great imagery, is that Paul the Apostle is saying, you and I have a flesh factory in our lives. So inside of us, our flesh is always seeking to produce desires which will produce sin. And this flesh factory is always going on unless we learn how to stop it how to push the button, how to pull the lever. And we're going to talk about that, but let's first of all look at what the flesh factory produces, all right? We see that here in verses 19 through 21. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are... Now here's what I'm going to do. Y'all with me say amen? I've got to preach fast, man. The first two services I preached way too long, all right? So, and I can tell y'all are ready to leave already. So I'm trying to help you out, all right? But here's the thing. I'm going to give you all these words and I'm going to define them. And uh, we're going to do it rapid fire, all right? So here's what the flesh seeks to produce. First of all, immorality. That's illicit sexual behavior, fornication, adultery, and the like. That's what the flesh produces. So if you're living a lifestyle right now and you're committing adultery or uh, you're living with somebody and uh, you're basically having sex with them but you're not married, then you're out of God's will. The flesh has produced that, not the Holy Spirit. 
At the same time, uh, if you're involved in illicit sexual uh, behavior, that's not from the Lord. So that is uh, from your flesh. And then there's impurity, those things that are unclean and filthy. There's sensuality that describes unrestrained moral activity. And then there's idolatry. Now, this is not just worshiping a graven image. Uh, this is anything, now listen to this, anything that receives more attention in your life than your relationship with Jesus Christ is idolatry. So that can mean uh, your job is your God. That can mean your sports are your God. It can mean your wife is your God. Jesus reserves our total worship. Now, sorcery is another word. It speaks directly of witchcraft and its use of drugs to bring people under spells. Uh, enmities is a word that speaks of hatred, spite, and hostility towards other people. Strife is quarrels, needless, prideful debates. Now, eyeball to eyeball, i got to throw this out for free, all right? So listen closely. When Paul writes this, he's writing to the church. So he's writing to a group of individuals, and he is saying, listen, these are the deeds of the flesh. So whenever he talks about these uh, enmities and these uh, strife and this jealousy, think about it in the context of being around the people of God. That's what he's elevating here. Enmities speak of hatred, spite, hostility towards others. Strife is quarrels, needless, prideful debates. Jealousy is envy of another person's personality, their gifts, or their stuff. And then an outburst of anger, that means they fly off the handle, they lose it, they have an erupting temper. And then there's disputes, that speaks of cliques of people who war against others in arguments or personal opinions. And then there's dissensions, that's division and destruction of relationships. Factions, that's the act of uh, separation and forming a group based upon one's own opinions and aims. And then there's envying. It's a feeling of displeasure manufactured by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. In other words, you see somebody else doing well, and uh, instead of just saying, well, praise the Lord, what you do is you look at them and you say, well, the only reason they got that is because, and then you slander them, right? Maybe you talk about their family, maybe you talk about their cheating, whatever it is. Uh, basically, you're, you're envious. You're the one in sin, bro, uh, not the guy you're envious of. Y'all all right? All right, so let me roll on here. Uh, where am I at? Somebody holler out the next word. What is it? Yeah, drunkenness. Now, the Greek word for drunkenness here uh, means drunkenness. <laughs> it's intoxication. And, and check this out. You can go to church and be a drunk. And some of you are. And that is not from the Lord. So if you're living a lifestyle and all you do is find yourself looking at the bottom of a bottle every single day, that is not from the Lord Jesus. Right, that's your flesh. It's intoxicating you. It's changing how you think, changing how you live, changing how you talk. It's not the Lord. So don't blame him. And then there's carousing. All right? This is a crazy word, by the way. This, this speaks of um, the act of drunken parties. This is legit. I, I read this in a Greek lexicon. Y'all ready for it? Say yes. So that, are, are y'all ready? I'm up here preaching. All right, so anyway, this is the act of drunken parties which lead people running into the streets with clubs in efforts to fight. That was literally in a Greek commentary. Can you imagine that, right? These people are getting so drunk, they're like, well, what you gonna do now? I don't know, man, there's some clubs right there. Well, uh, why don't we take them and go beat some people? That's what they did. They're going out there to go crazy. That's what happens, though, when you get drunk. You do stupid stuff. And y'all don't act. Come on now. Because I know what's happening right now. Y'all are going, well, it's just because y'all are Baptists. No. That's not it. Quit trying to blame all that Baptist stuff on us. You, I read it. You read it. All right. So th this is what the flesh produces. Now, 
What happens here is what Paul does is he warns. He says, I already warned you, and I, I forewarned you as well that those, now listen closely, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is he saying here? Because this is kind of wild, right? Well, he's issuing a warning. He said, I know I'm writing to the church, but some of you, when I write this list, this actually describes your normal life. And if this is your normal life, you don't know Jesus. He is elevating that reality. He's charging them to look in the spiritual mirror, as it were, to authenticate their faith. And if you have or claim to possess the Holy Spirit, but you don't have a craving to glorify Jesus and make Him known, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't know God. Your flesh is in control. No matter how good you are, how many times you've been baptized, or what you think you got going on as far as church is concerned. If you don't know Jesus, it, it's not going to help you. Your, your religious duty and activity is like cow dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. And you know where I got that from? Philippians chapter 3. Read it. <laughs> y'all, y'all help a brother out up here, you know what I'm saying? So, so, here, so here's what Paul's doing now. He's saying, I, I understand that there's still this internal battle, and this is true for every single one of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's true. You've got a craving to glorify Jesus and to make him known, but you also know that your flesh loves to produce desires in your life. And there's the, the battle. The spirit against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. There's the opposition. There is the spiritual civil war happening inside your life. And you experience just like I experience it. And so what happens is, the Bible teaches you and I that whenever this craving comes from our flesh, if we plug into it, sin's going to be birthed. And whenever we plug into it and sin is birthed, it takes us out of God's will, it keeps us from glorifying Jesus, and we're not even remotely concerned about making Jesus known. And the bottom line is, a lot of people who go to church are living in the flesh. Because they don't have a desire to glorify Jesus. You're not telling anybody about Jesus. Well, if that's what the Spirit of God produces in our life, then if I'm surrendered to the Spirit of God, then I'm going to glorify Him and I'm going to try to make Him known. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? Because some of us are going to church and I'm all fired up that you're here, but you're going to church and you'll just come to church next week and the next week and the next week and the next But you're not being used of the Lord. This is you coming together with the church to encourage one another. Encourage one another to go back out into the mission field and declare Jesus. But most churches are not producing people like that. Uh, Most churches are filled with a bunch of chickens is what we're filled with. I don't want to share. If I share, somebody's not going to like me. If I share with my family, they're going to look at me sideways. If I share at work, what's going to happen to me? Really? When I read the book of Acts and the Spirit of God takes up residence in the lives of people, you know what he does? The Spirit of God empowers those individuals with boldness to stand up and to deliver the truth of Jesus. Are you not, you don't have that going on? You you don't have that going on? If, If you don't, then what are you doing? If we're not glorifying Jesus or making Jesus known, what are we doing? What are you doing? Good night. You didn't just get saved so you could get out of hell for free. 
You got saved, brought into the kingdom, and now God's like, I'm going to use you to carry out my mission on the earth to bring people to Jesus. And so I'm going to empower you to glorify him and to make him known. So if you're, if you're not involved in that, I'm not, I don't really know what you're involved in. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm just church games, out of church politics. I don't know what it is, man. Because this is how it rolls out. Uh, Friday, I got a haircut. Can y'all tell? Before I went in, I looked like Don King. Y'all listening to me? But uh, Friday, I got it cut. Now I'm looking sharp. But I'm sitting there, and I'm getting my hair cut, and uh, uh, the person who cuts my hair doesn't know the Lord. So I, I pray as I go, and I'm like, Lord, give me boldness to share the gospel uh, with her. So I'm standing there, she's cutting my hair, and uh, she asked me, it's Friday afternoon, she says, uh, what you got going on? What's happening in your life? Well, I said, well, I'm actually going to Calhoun tonight. What are you doing there? Well, I'm preaching a, a men's conference tonight. And she just kind of was like, really? You're preaching a men's conference? She said, what in the world are you going to tell a group of men on Friday night? Now, uh, what I was going to preach was uh, don't commit adultery on your wife. Y'all down with that sermon? So when she asked me, I was like, all right, Lord, how can I tell her what I'm going to preach on? So I said to her, I'm going to preach on, don't commit adultery with your wife. Did y'all get that? I didn't change it at all. Because I couldn't think of anything. And then here, here's a statement. She says, uh, have you noticed that people don't really know what's right, what's wrong anymore? I was like, yeah, she's not even a believer. I was like, yeah, I have noticed that. A lot of people are crazy. And then I just said to her, where do you get your sense of right and wrong? She says, well, I just know. How do you know? She said, well, I guess from my upbringing. Where'd your upbringing get it from? Well, I don't know where they got it from. I said, isn't it crazy, though, that it doesn't matter where you go throughout the world, people know right from wrong? Where do they get this internal law? She says, I have no idea, but I got a feeling you're fixing to tell me. <laughs> I said, yeah, it only makes logical sense that if there is a law, there is a lawgiver. Y'all know where I got that from? A guy named C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. If there's a law, there's a lawgiver. So I said, so if there is a law, and there is a lawgiver, and you know that you've broken the law, because I know I've broken it as well, and you will one day have to stand before the lawgiver and give an account. Are y'all with me? It's like, you're telling this girl why she's cutting your hair? Yes. And it's not the first time. I've told her multiple times. And so then I told her what she could do to be forgiven of her sin, told her about Jesus once again, how he died on the cross for her sin, was buried and raised again, and shared the gospel. Now, you know what would be awesome is if I could tell you she got saved. But she didn't. You say, well, Levi, did that disappoint you? No. I'm just called to sow the seed, man. I can't make it grow. So what I do is I go back to my truck and start driving to Calhoun, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for giving me the Spirit's boldness to join you in your mission to reach the world. Because that's what God's doing. And if I want to participate in what God's doing, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to give me boldness to glorify Jesus and to... Yeah, now next time I do that is make him known. Right? Y'all need to get down with this message, man, because this is what we're called to do. If we're not doing this, I don't know what we're doing. All right. Let me give you all a second point. Y'all ready to jot this one down? So if we're going to participate with the Holy Spirit, we also need to make sure that we are uh, shutting down the flesh factory and then we are trusting the Spirit to produce the fruit in our life. Trusting the Spirit to produce the fruit. All right, let's look at verse 22 through 23 very quickly, all right? The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read them all off and then I'm going to give you a, a quick little definition of all of them. So here it is. There's love. 
Now that means unconditional service toward others. There's joy, that's inner delight, not based on outward circumstances. There's peace, that's peace with God, that's also peace with other people. And then there's patience, that's the steadfast ability to withstand hardship from others, restraint in the face of those who would attack you, slow to anger. And then there's kindness, that's doing good to all. And then there's goodness, that's virtue of performing acts of charity towards others. And then there's faithfulness, that's the act of being trustworthy toward God and trustworthy towards others. And then there's gentleness, that means you're considerate of the needs of others above your own. Self-control, that's the ability to remain pure. Now, don't be tempted to think like I used to think when I'd read through these lists, right? So I'm reading through the list, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. There it is, patience. i got to get better on that. i got to try harder. And then I might look at, uh, let's say, joy, and I'd be like, well, i got to get better on that, too. i got to do better. i got to try harder. Listen to the preacher real quick. If you, are y'all listening? If you had the ability to produce this fruit in your life, you would not need the Holy Spirit. This is not Levi manufacturing some fruit. If I'm manufacturing it, it's plastic. Are y'all out there? This is the Holy Spirit producing this fruit in my life, which glorifies Jesus and... Y'all did horrible on that. <laughs> now, I've, I've got to... Um, Kind of give you this, all right? And now, you got to use your brain for a minute, all right? Most of my preaching, you don't have to use your brain, do you? But here, you got to use your brain because I'm trying to draw a correlation. I'm reading a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, called The Cost of Discipleship. Yeah, anybody ever read this book? Uh, yeah, crazy good book, right? Hard read, but it's good stuff. Well, in chapters uh, 21 through 23, Bonhoeffer speaks about how Jesus called his disciples to himself. He says, um, hey, I just had some thought come to my mind. It has nothing to do with this. Y'all listen to me say yeah? Some of you, as I talked about how I shared Jesus Friday, you thought in your heart and in your mind, of course you shared Jesus. You're a preacher. You get paid to do that. L look at me for just a moment. Friday's my off day. Are y'all listening? The reason I share Jesus isn't because I'm a preacher. It is because I am saved. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are redeemed, you ought to say so. That's why God uniquely, sovereignly puts you where you are around people who don't know Him. And if you're not around any of them, get around some. So you can reach them. So, so, so don't throw that stuff. You're a preacher. That's why you do it. Don't throw that at me, man. It don't stick. Y'all out there saying? Now, y'all remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer? That was pretty funny when I said all that, wasn't it? All right. Bonhoeffer speaks of how Jesus called disciples to himself. Here's what he says. He says, uh, Jesus is looking for help to reach others with the good news of the kingdom. As such, Jesus invited the 12 disciples to join him in delivering the news to the surrounding areas. But they couldn't do it on their own. Think about the disciples. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They weren't preachers. Bonhoeffer writes, they needed a power stronger than the prince of this world, the devil. So what did Jesus do? Jesus gave authority to the disciples to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Now why did he give them this power? 
He gave them this power so that people would listen to the message that they preached about the kingdom. Otherwise, who would listen to a fisherman talking about the kingdom of God? Who would listen to a fisherman or a tax collector talking about Jesus? But you give a fisherman or give me a fisherman who cast out devils and heals the sick, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. So check this out. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. God desires for people to hear the truth. Here's the correlation. God desires the people to hear the truth about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So what has he done? He's called his disciples to himself. He's using the church as his mouthpiece to a lost world. But we can't accomplish such a great task. We are called by God to make disciples everywhere. We need a power greater than us. So Jesus sent the Spirit to empower us to be His witnesses for Christ. But why would any... I'm talking to y'all. Why would anybody listen to you talk about Jesus? Why is anybody going to pay attention to you? You might be like Peter. You just got a regular job. You may work at Walmart. You might work at a manufacturing plant. You might be a stay-at-home mom. You might be a retiree. Why would somebody listen to you? Here's the reason why. Because Jesus has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to produce supernatural fruit in your life. Enabling you to do what those in the world cannot do. He empowers you to love not just those who love you. Anybody can do that. He empowers you to love those who hate you. He empowers you to have joy. Not when uh, people are treating you fairly. Anybody can have joy when things are going well. No, no. He empowers you to have joy even when you are treated unfairly. Y'all remember Paul the Apostle, by the way, was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And when he was in jail, tied up in the stocks, they started singing a song. What in the world? Could you imagine being the jailer? And you're hanging out, and everybody else in there is miserable, but then you got Paul and Silas singing in harmony. You would go straight, you'd be like, what are y'all doing? And there's joy all over their face, even in the midst of suffering circumstances. What in the world? The Spirit of God will produce that kind of joy in your life and my life. And He empowers us to place the interests of others above our own. Check this out. That is a supernatural work for every single disciple of Jesus. That he would produce in you by the Spirit of God the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that gives you the credibility as you glorify Jesus and... <laughs> Are y'all falling asleep on me? What's going on, man? So it's like, why would anybody listen to you? They listen to you because of what the Spirit is producing in your life. They see something so radically different in your life. And as you share the gospel, when you, listen, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and you tell them how to give their hearts to Jesus, they shouldn't look at your life and say, what are you talking about? You look just like I do. Why are you coming up in here trying to preach to me? No, no, see, as Paul says, uh, let your conduct match your gospel. 
Let the gospel match your conduct. And you can't do it. It's the Spirit of God within you. Could you imagine what church would be like here at Concord if all of a sudden people were controlled by the Holy Spirit? I'm talking about everybody, every single person listening. Could you, could you, could you imagine that? Because here's the thing. We're all fired up about what the Lord's doing now. We're like, man, people are being saved, going on missions. I hear about people sharing the gospel out in the community. This is awesome. But could you imagine what God would do if some of you would shut your flesh factory down, throw your feet out of bed in the morning and say, today I am embracing the desire of the Holy Spirit? There's no limit to what God could do. Or, you can just keep coming to church every Sunday. Singing a few songs, shaking a few hands, and going home. I'm not down with that, man. I want to be down with what God's doing on the earth. And he's calling people to himself. And I'm like, I want to be, I'm, I'm in. I want to be a part of that. Amen? Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts as you see fit, and we'll give you glory for it. Some of you are here this morning, and you've not given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you thought you were saved, but you realize today you've never had a craving inside of you to glorify Jesus and to make him known. That's just not present. Well, it's because the Spirit's not present. The Spirit's not present because you've not genuinely given your heart to Jesus. You might know a lot about him, but you don't know him. And so God right now is drawing you to himself. And here's what the Lord's trying to say. He's saying, listen, I love you so much. I so desire to have a relationship with you, but I can't just accept you with all of that sin. That sin has to be judged. So God says to you, here's what I did to judge your sin. I sent Jesus, my son, to the earth. He lived a sinless life, and on the cross at Calvary, he died for you. And then the Lord would just say, hey, listen, if you'll call out on me, I will save you right where you sit. And if you'll trust him today, the Bible says the Spirit of God will take up residence in your life. And you will have a new craving, a new desire to glorify Jesus and to make him known. And so if you need to give your heart to Jesus this morning, just pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness of my sin. So today I'm turning from my sin and trusting in you and you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for the resurrection. And now help me to live a life set aside for your namesake and be unashamed of you. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, the first step of obedience is uh, baptism. And we don't do that because we're Baptists. We just do that because the Bible says to do it. So if you've not been baptized, but you're a new follower of Christ, then, then that's the war going on inside of you right now. Should I be baptized, which is what the Lord would desire, because he put it right in his word for you to be baptized, or should I continue to listen to my own flesh? Put it off, wait, not do it. Degrade its importance. I'm trusting you'll surrender to the Spirit today. And if that's the case and you need to come forward to be baptized, when we stand to our feet in a moment and sing, you leave the place where you've been seated, you come forward. I'll be here in the front. I want to pray for you, help you along in your journey with Jesus. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. Right? You need a group of people to be uh, participating in God's mission with. 
So we want to invite you to, to join this morning if God's laid that upon your heart as an individual or your family. And uh, you'll come as well during the invitation. Father, we give the invitation to you. Pray that you'd work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.